Hello, I'm Todd Starnes. I have the privilege to be the pastor of Odessa First Assembly in Odessa, Texas. Thank you for joining us for our podcast. This is part two of our series, Basic Training. This sermon is titled, The Enemy and His Tactics. We hope that it is a blessing and encouragement to you. If you want more information about us, just go to odessafirst.com or find us on any of the social media platforms. God bless you. Just a few things, uh, just kind of before we read our text this morning, is kind of our rules of engagement. Um, I started something off like this last week, but kind of want to remind you, just kind of really to set a simple foundation. My goal for the la- for this last week and this week is just to understand that you know to engage in spiritual warfare. It's not you know sometimes I think the view is that it's. You know, it's just like super spiritual and, and maybe even borderline weird and, and things of that nature. But sometimes spiritual warfare is, is very simple to engage in and kind of what we're talking about. But just a few reminders, our rules of engagement that uh, number one was this, is that some things are not the direct result, result of the devil. Some things are we... we make our own choices and uh, we need to realize that you know and granted I think there's a lot of things the devil does he doesn't get blamed for but I think there are some things he gets blamed for that was really not on him but on us number two is this as there are not demons behind every door I know sometimes you know, it's, it's just that whole adage of being too heavily minded to be no earthly good. I'm sure maybe some have heard that. There are not demons and devils behind every door, but I will also will tell you, as we're going to look at this morning, his influence and tactics are a lot more per, per, pervasive than what we realize. Number three is this, is that it's not about trying to locate the, like the enemy's influence in everything. I mean, you know, some people we just, um, you know... Uh, well, they're just going to cast the devil out of everything, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, things aren't, you know, a chair's a chair. I don't know how to say that. So, number four is this, and I think this is the most important one, is that pursuit of uh, the presence of God and living a life of faithfulness and, and living under the lordship of Jesus, it fixes a lot. It resolves a lot in our life. But our two verses, I pick Romans 12, 21, because it's very simple. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Conquer evil by doing good. And really kind of the, the foundation of this morning is, I know many are familiar with this verse, but it's in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. Ephesians 6, 10 and 11. It says, a final word be strong and the Lord and his mighty power. That is a powerful promise. Do not overlook that. How are we to be strong? We are strong because it is God that is powerful. It is God. Zechariah 4, 6, not by might, not by power, but by his spirit, says the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Verse 11, put all on God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm. Everybody say, stand firm. Sometimes you have to stand firm. As a matter of fact, later on, it tells us in Ephesians 6 that having done all that you could do to stand, stand. 
man the helm, stand on the rock that is Jesus Christ against all what? Strategies of the devil. Some translations say schemes, some translations say tactics, but that's what we want to look at this morning is how to stand firm against the tactics of the devil. Understand this, our enemy is evil. I, he just doesn't represent evil. He is the root of evil. He is the foundation of evil. Matter of fact, all evil started through him. And I really can't emphasize that enough because I know that even in our world that there have so many that have gone through Difficult times, travesties, whatever it may be. But I'm going to tell you, at the root of anything that evil that happens, it is Satan. It is the devil. As good as God is, is as evil as Satan is. And there's a reason why I point that out. Because I want you to understand something. Sometimes discerning what is happening in the spiritual realm, it's not quite as difficult as what we think. Listen, it's, I, it, this is really basic theology, okay? I'm going to help, help you out what I spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to understand. Are you ready? You're going to get the benefit of Southwestern Assemblies of God education right here. God is good. God is good. The devil is bad. God does good things. The devil does bad things. There you go. You don't have to go to Southwestern anymore. But you have to remember that Satan hates you. He hates you. And I know you've heard me say this so many times. You know, we, we, there's like this saying or uh, colloquialism of, of that, you know, you know, somebody may be so bad that the devil leaves them alone. Listen, the Bible tells us in Genesis 1.27 that God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. It doesn't matter if you're with God or running away from God. The enemy hates you. And it's his job to steal, kill, and destroy. Why? Because even when in our lost nature, we still represent God. Did you know that? Why? Because we're in his image. And the enemy hates God and so he hates you. Listen to me, I'm not saying that we're little gods. I'm not saying that we are God or anything of that baloney. What I'm telling you is, is when the enemy looks at you, he sees the one that he hates most. But when God looks at you, did you know that he sees the one that he loves most? Oh, come on, somebody had to catch that one. I said, when God looks at you, he looks at you through the blood of his son. God created you, he made you, he made everything about you, and the enemy hates it. Understand that evil is not something, but it's a someone, it's a vital weapon of warfare to understand who Satan is and his tactics. The first thing is this to understand, is that Satan is a master strategist. Satan is a master strategist. Did you know that he knows 
your nature better than you know your nature. I mean, he's been around since the beginning. He's been around since the garden. And he knows, he knows our weaknesses. He knows where we tend to fall short. It's not that he's all-knowing. It, that's not what it is. It's that he, he and his now demonic forces that used to be angels, they understand the sinful nature because it started with them. The foundation of it was them. He's been dealing with the sinful nature longer than we have. We can't underestimate. Listen, very care. If you don't hear anything, hear this at the very beginning. We can't underestimate to the length that the enemy will go to win. That's how much he hates you. We can't underestimate just how manipulative that he is. I mean, I'm going to tell you, without the help, the direction, the wisdom, I mean, the work of the Holy Spirit in us, I mean, we are like so naive compared to him. Has anybody ever sat at the table with somebody that's really, that's really gullible, that's really naive? If you haven't, then, I, then you're probably the naive one. Um, <laughs> that was for free. Okay, so, um, but if you've been around, that's just really, really gullible. I mean, that's us sometimes when we, and, and listen, when we invite the enemy to our table. Just don't invite the enemy to your table. We can't underestimate how much he hates us. So what are, what are schemes? What are strategies? I think one of them is, one of the biggest ones is, is accusation. I think one of the biggest ones is accusation because we see a lot about this in Scripture. But I want to look at Revelations chapter 12 and verse 10. Revelations chapter 12, verse 10. It says, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now to the salvation, the power, the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Christ have come. Who's the authority? Jesus. Listen. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And this tells us two areas where the enemy accuses us. He accuses us as before God, and he accuses you to you. That's not in your notes, and that's not on the screen. He accuses you before God. I mean, that's what he does. He says, hey... He says, hey, God, really, look, look at April. Look at all, the, I mean, she just messes up, and she just messes up, and she just met, and he accuses. Are you following me? And then he accuses you. You just mess up. You just, really? I mean, if everybody just knew that thought you were thinking, if that, if that could just be put on the screen for everybody to see, and he accuses you. The New Testament calls the devil, we talked about this last week, but he is our accuser, he is a slanderer. He's accuser and a slanderer. Satan is continually misrepresenting us to God and misrepresenting us 
to ourselves. He accuses us before God, and he accuses us to us. He magnifies all of our bad points. He, he whispers all those bad, negative things into our, tries into our hearts and our spirits. He tries to make us feel guilty. He tries to make us feel shameful. He tries to make us feel unworthy. And that's why accusation is one of the enemy's greatest tactics. I mean, let's just be real just for a moment. Let, hopefully we're real all the time, but let's be real just for a moment. Has anybody, this is not rhetorical, I want you to respond to this. Has anybody ever messed up? I want you to raise your hand. Has anybody ever messed up? Yeah. yeah. The perfect people that you just messed up, so. Um. But what happens so many, let's think of something very, very, very simple. Has anybody felt guilty for not reading your Bible? Has anybody ever, you ever not, I mean, we're just being very simple here. Has anybody, you don't have to respond to this one, this is, this is more rhetorical, but what the pattern tends to be sometimes when we do something and we get, tend to feel guilty, many times what that does, that keeps us in the same motion that started it. What do I mean by that? Sometimes when we feel guilty and we miss one day, two days, three days, whatever that is, and not reading our word, not having that devotion time, we begin to feel that condemnation. We begin to feel that guilt. You know what happens? It preparates, it, it, we continue in that behavior because that's what guilt does. That's what condemnation does. But the Bible says, what does the Bible say? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Did you know that God does not love you less because you missed a day on your Bible plan? So don't let the enemy keep you away from your Bible plan. I hope that makes sense. And so he, magna I mean, he makes, you feel, makes us feel guilty, makes us feel unworthy, makes feel like we can't walk in faith, that we can't, uh, we, we don't, we mis because of that guilt, we misunderstand our standing with God. Because of that guilt, we often tend to get in a, a pattern of feeling defeated. But I'm going to tell you, it is not about how you feel. Do you, do you, do you know what I'm saying? Your feelings will betray you. That's why we walk by faith and not by sight. And so just a, just a few scriptures. I really don't have a, maybe a, a, the scripture is our point. Maybe I'll say it that way. But I just want to look at a few scriptures that kind of talk about this just for a moment. Isaiah 54, 17. It says, but in that coming day... No, now we're talking about spiritual warfare, right? We're talking about basic training. We're talking about engaging the enemy. No weapon turned against you will succeed. That's a pretty good promise. You will silence every voice raised up to what? That accuses you. Who's going to silence it? You will silence every voice. You will silence every voice. These benefits are enjoyed by the servants of the Lord. The vindication will come for me. I, the Lord, have spoken. 
Romans 8.33, who, I love the way this reads, who dare, who dares to accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? That is a rhetorical question. Who dares? Who dares to accuse us when you be, when that those guilty feelings and you know those times you fall short and, and you, you feel like you don't measure up? Who dares accuse? I tell that who are you, devil, to accuse me of where I stand with the Lord? No one, for God Himself has given us what? Right standing with Himself. Because that's exactly what the enemy wants to make you doubt. Where you stand with God. Well, I missed four days of prayer. I'm a terrible Christian. I missed, I, um, I was reading through, I kind of, I don't know what people see on version, but we're on a version plan or we're on a family plan. And matter of fact, I'll pull it up. I'll pull it up. I, was, I started reading something else, but I missed some days on my Bible plan. Let me tell you how many days I'm behind. That maybe this will help somebody. Is this, is this too transparent? So I am 90, 92 missed days in my Bible plan. 92 missed days. Now I was reading other stuff and other things in Scripture and the Bible. I was using my computer for some things. But of those 90, but I, I'm going to tell you, I, yeah, there's times I go on great streaks. But there's other times I drop the ball. But what I refuse to do is allow the enemy to use that as ammunition against me. 1 John 2. My dear children, I'm writing, this is John writing, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. I mean, what is our goal? Right? Our goal is to not sin. One of our goals. But if anyone does sin... We have an advocate. When you, has it, since we're on a raising hand poll roll, if you have sinned since you got saved, would you raise your hand? We have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ. He's the one who is truly righteous. He himself is a sacrifice that atones for our sins. Not only for our sins, but all the sins of the world. Now, Paul wrote this, and we're familiar with it. Does that mean because grace abounds that we sin more? No, we don't. that's not what we take this to mean. I'm not saying, you know, just go out and do whatever you want. And, you know, that's, not, that's not the purpose or the, or the reality of things of what Scripture is telling us. But I'm going to tell you, as you grow in Christ, as you live this life, you are going to fall short sometimes. You're going to fall short. Don't allow the enemy to condemn you with that. You just come to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm I'm sorry. I fell short again. The Bible says, if I confess my sin, you are just and faithful and will forgive me and cleanse me of all of my unrighteousness. Number two is deception. Number two is deception. I think one of the the greatest strategies along with accusations is deception. Listen to this poll from Barna. If you know, he's a poll guy, smart guy, whatever. This is a poll that he did. 60% of professing Christians. 
So we're talking about people. Let me, let me just lay the foundation for this. We're talking about people that have come and asked Jesus to forgive them of their sins, cleanse them, confess them as Lord, professing Christians. 60% of professing Christians believe that the devil, Satan, is, an, is the idea of evil and not a person. You remember what my first point was last week? The devil's a person. I mean, if I was the enemy, you know what I'd want to do? I'd want to convince everybody that I wasn't real. Revelations 12, 9, we read 10 just a moment ago, but verse 9, just a verse above that, Revelations 12, 9, the great dragon, I wish I had time to break this down, but we don't this morning, but the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world. That's what he does. And remember, the problem with deception is what? Anybody? Anybody? It's deceiving. And most of the time, those that are deceived don't know they're deceived. Why? Because they're deceived. And I'm going to tell you, the enemy is a master manipulator. He is a master at deception. The Bible tells us in John 18, I mean, as we just sang languages just a moment ago, different languages, and for you are the children of your father. And I'm, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not saying you. I'm reading the scripture, okay? Sorry. I, I had a long night, y'all. For you, the, are the children of your father, the devil, and you love, this is actually talking about uh, 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 false teachers. And you love to do evil things he does. He was a murderer from when? He has always hated what? What does truth mean to us? If we know the truth, the truth what? Because truth is a person, it's Jesus. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character. Do you know anybody, are you in a relationship with anybody, and they do something, maybe they pull a stupid, and you're like, yeah, I can believe they did that. <laughs> it is consistent with his character, for he is not just a liar, but he is the father of lies. That means his native language is lies and deception. That means if his mouth is moving, what is he doing? He's manipulating, he's accusing, he's deceiving, he's lying. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, I'm just going to go through just something really quick. I just want to, I know some of you have seen this, I've even talked about this before. But I felt like I needed to do it this morning. But in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, this is, this is the Lord talking to Adam. And he says, now, if you, if you have your paper Bible open and you're a Bible marker person, I, I, didn't, I, I would encourage you to do it. Or maybe you're using the U version and you can highlight it. But the Lord God warned him, you may, this is a really important word, freely. What did God tell Adam? You may, everybody say freely, freely. You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden. You may freely eat the fruit. I mean, is there misinterpreting that? You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, verse 17, except for one. 
So God wasn't saying, you know, he, there wasn't a whole bunch of trees that they couldn't eat from. There was one tree, but all the others they could freely eat. That sounds like a pretty good blessing to me. And then you get to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. And it's now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? He is such a master manipulator and uh, twisting God's word. Read verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree and the garden. But notice the word freely is missing. It is very important when the enemy tries to twist God's word that you respond accurately with God's word. You understand the importance of that? I'm not saying that you've got to know chapter and verse. I, I'm not even saying that you've got to get every minute dot and tittle, comma, quotation mark, or word right. But we need to know what the Bible says. Because I want to tell you, you're going to go through times in life when you're engaging in spiritual warfare. What's going to get you through that moment is that you know God's word. It's not going to be Betty Sue that you call on the phone. It's not going to be an altar experience at the altar. It's going to be that you know God's word. The woman said, Miss Freeling, listen, if you question the goodness of God, then it's easier to disobey the will of God. If you question the goodness of God, that's exactly what the enemy was trying to get Eve to do. God said you can freely eat. Did God really say you can't eat of any? She's trying to cast doubt on the goodness of God and what he did for Adam and Eve. Are you following me? Genesis 3, uh, verses 4 and 5. You know, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman, because she said, she responded that way. This is what God said. God knows that your eyes will be opened. This is important. And as you eat it, you'll be like God. Everybody say like. Like God, knowing both good and evil. You see, the enemy took something and twisted it. Do you remember how kind of all we began this, this journey, this process? Adam and Eve were already created in the image of God. They were already created that way. He had already formed them. He created them in our own image. In our image, he created them. Are you following me? I mean, the enemy was taking something that God already did and was twisting it and manipulating it. Satan knows how to twist God's word. So what Satan wants to do, I mean, think about process and the culture that we're in right now of a billion different sexual identities, or whatever it is. There's only two sexual identities. That is male, and that is female. That is it. That is the truth of God's word. And any other confusion or designation is the enemy attacking God-given identity. 
And that just also goes to show you that those that are lost and away from the Lord, that the enemy is still going to go after them and their identity. Why? Because even if they're lost, they're still created in the image of God. He, Satan hates the way that we were created. And so how do, you, how do you know your identity? What do you need to know? One is this, that you are loved by God. It is real. I know that's a simple thing, but that's what this is, basic training. You are loved by God. And I, I, st- I have said this for decades, that God does not love you more by what you do right, nor does he love you less by what you do wrong, because God is love. Listen to me. We may find ourselves, if we're not submitted to the lordship of Jesus, that we are we spend eternity in hell, that's not because that God does not love us, that's because he's true to his word. You are loved by God. Well, you don't know all that. If God loved me, why does all this bad stuff happen to me in my life? Because you live in a fallen world and the enemy hates you. The second thing is this, is that you are chosen. You have been chosen by God. You are not here by accident. God doesn't make junk. When he looks at you, he sees a masterpiece of a painting that he has put together. And you have been chosen by him. You know, I'm one of those guys. I am, man. You know, I... Back in elementary school, did anybody ever play mob soccer in elementary school? Anybody? No, you know what I'm talking about? I guess that's a small town thing. So in small towns, you're out at recess, and all the guys, however many that is, you know, 30 of us, it's 15 on 15 soccer or 20 on 20 soccer. But you still pick teams. I mean, kids with crutches got picked before I did. Anybody? I, I would play junior high football, and I was like on fifth string or whatever it was. And I mean, my coach, he told me, my coach, he said, Todd, he said, uh, I just don't ever see you playing, man. That's what my coach told me. That's what my, but see, I, see, if you know, I'm pretty bullheaded. And I was like, bet. My sophomore year, I was starting varsity. I was like, yeah. That's what you get. You don't have to worry about being the last one chosen. God picks you first every single time. Every single time. You are forgiven. You're forgiven. You have been, our sins are just not covered. They are washed away. And listen to me, I know that some of us in this room, you, I mean, man, There are times probably you drive by a park or you see a certain model car or you drive by a hotel on 8th Street or whatever it might be and those memories rush back. I want you to know that is the enemy. That is not who you are and that is not your identity. You're forgiven. Fourth is you've been redeemed. What does that mean? That means you are, you've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and placed in the kingdom of light. Christ has redeemed you. He's made you whole. And the fifth is that you are adopted. 
you are, you've been adopted by him into his family. He, uh, because of what Christ has done and our sins are forgiven, we now stand as sons and daughters before our Father. The third and final thing is this, and I'll close with this, is hindrances. Number three is hindrances. There's a verse that, uh, well, it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 18. We've been in this series, been using the New Living Translation, but it says, we want, wanted very much to come to you, and I, Paul, tried again and again. So think about this. This, how many of you think Paul was pretty awesome? I mean, Paul's the guy, like, I mean, you know, he, it's, it's, it, it, I mean, it's splitting hairs a little bit. Paul did not write the majority of the New Testament. John did. But a close second is Paul. If you go by verse count, how many verses, how many sentences, John wrote more. But anyway. So, but Paul, I mean, he influential. Influential, right? I mean, when you say, I mean, here's the guy that in Acts we read about this girl that was demon-possessed and... <laughs> Paul, I can just, you know, Paul, it, you know, Paul was probably a gold, if you know personality colors, or a cleric, <laughs> but this girl, this demon, you can go back and read, this demon-possessed girl, I mean, she's like following along with Paul, and Paul, not out of compassion, I mean, when you read the, when you read the passage, it's like, it doesn't seem like very compassionate, it doesn't seem like, oh, you know, that Paul would just love this young lady and wanted to see. I mean, it was more out of annoyance. And he looks at her and he says, you know, he, he delivers the demon out of her, you know. I mean, this guy, I mean, you know, that stood in front of religious leaders and, and political leaders. We wanted very much to come to you again and again that Satan prevented us. Satan prevented us. In other translations, it'll actually say the word. It uses the word, but Satan hindered us. Satan uses hindrances. Listen, our view of Paul, if Paul can be hindered, do you think you and I might could get hindered? I, I would say that's a possibility. I would say that's a possibility. This word prevented or hindered to give you a, uh, you know, I'm not really big in the word studies and stuff like that, and I, I do look things up and research things out, but I'm, I'm more of a, a word picture guy, and so um, there's different authors I like looking at that, that talk about these different things, but one guy was writing, when you look at the Greek word for prevented or hindered, that word, the image we should get is the enemy blowing up a bridge in the middle of a war. I want you, do you hear me? Blowing up a bridge in the middle of a war. Do you have, I mean, do you see that image? I mean, you're trying to get, you're trying to get uh, uh, supplies and, and personnel, you know, to where the, the front lines are, to where the battle is, but the enemy blows up the bridge, so you, that's what that hindered, prevented means. He wants to hinder your prayers. He wants to hinder your growth. He wants to hinder your dreams. But it's really quick. I, I want to hit on this. I'm, I know I'm going to miss some things this morning, but listen to me. If there is a thing the enemy wants to hinder, it's people coming to salvation. 
And what I want to give to you this morning very quickly is how to pray for people to get saved. I know this is a very practical thing, but I want you to follow along with me, okay? And so we read in Scripture, I, we don't necessarily have to put it on the screen, but it's 2 Corinthians 4.3, and it talks about that the good news being preached, but it's being preached to those um, who are perishing, but it's Satan, the God of this world, that has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. There is a work of the enemy that blinds people towards salvation. But what you can do, you can pray that God begin to open up their mind. If the enemy has blinded their minds, you can begin to pray that God open up their mind to get them to be inquisitive, curious, less hostile. Let, let something, the Spirit start stirring in them where they, they begin to ask questions, but pray that God open up their mind. Pray that they start to believe. And now that can be expressed in many different ways, but what we want to pray is they begin to have God encounters. And so there will be things that happen in their life that it's like they may think it's a coincidence, like maybe there's a certain person and, and, and they go into H-E-B and they run into Sammy. And Sammy's like, hey, man, how you doing? You know, hey, here's the invite card. They're on the table, by the way, out there. Here's the invite card. Can I pray for you? And maybe that person is a server at Texas Roadhouse. And then so Tony takes his family to Texas Roadhouse. And so you're sitting there and you got that same invite that are on the information table, by the way. And so the server comes over and you're like, hey, this is my church. And just out of coincidence, it's the same person that was in HEB. God can set that stuff up. And it'll begin to stir something in them. And then Angela comes along and it's all said and done. No. <laughs> <laughs> pray that they see the light of the good news that pray they begin to understand the message and of all things pray they have an encounter with jesus pray they have an encounter with jesus i want to close with this the enemy uses hindrances to separate us from god that's the goal of the hindrance and when you think about that when you think about the goal of the hindrance is to separate us from god the goal of hindrance is to blow up that bridge to cut off access. How, when a matter of fact, if you go ahead and stand with me, I meant I was going to kind of take this line by line and kind of preach it maybe in a way that you haven't heard it kind of broken apart. And I don't have time for that this morning, but I'm still going to read this. And so, as I was thinking and 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 uh, you know praying about how to. You know, how to wrap this up, how to bring this to a close. Think about Romans 8 in light of all that I preached this morning. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? Now, if you read the upper portion of Romans 8, I mean, he's talking about some awesome stuff. He's talking about heaven. He's talking about the work of spirit in us, but I mean, but even if it's pointed to what is fixing to follow and what he says here, it's still powerful, such wonderful things. If God is for us, who could ever be against us? See, the enemy wants you to believe that God is withholding something from you, that God is not all good. But the scripture says that if God be for you, who can be against you? 
Verse 32, since he did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he give us everything else? Who dares, we read this just a moment ago, who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? Remember how Romans 8 started. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ died for us and was raised to life for us and is sitting in the place of the honor of God's right hand pleading for us. Verse 35, can anything, listen, remember what does hindrance mean? That blowing up that bridge, blowing up that access. Verse 35, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? No, it cannot. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry? I mean, you, you, you see how this is set up, right? Does it, can, does it mean that God does not love us if there's trouble, calamity, persecution, hunger, destitute, danger, or even being threatened with death? I want to skip to verse 37. No, despite all all of that stuff because you live in a fallen world where the enemy hates you overwhelmingly victory is ours through Christ who loved us and so I am convinced that nothing can blow up that bridge of God's love towards me Neither death nor life or angels or demons or our fears for today or worries for tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us, can hinder us, can stop God's love. No power in the sky above and the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. It, I'm, does that promise seem like a little more meaty now than just uh, something on a wall and a plaque? Listen, the enemy, he will use any tactic he can to separate you from what Christ paid for you. And that's what it comes down to. Christ paid for your forgiveness with the shedding of his blood, your justification that you stand before God just if you never sinned, that ongoing work of sanctification. The enemy wants you to believe that all of that is pointless. And let me be very direct, and that is why, because sometimes we struggle with how we see ourselves in God's grace that maybe, and I'm not telling you stop doing it. I, listen, I'm going to tell you, whenever you feel the work of the Holy Spirit, you need to respond to it. I believe in that. But there may be some of you that maybe every single week when I give an altar call that you raise your hand because you're basing on the six days you had before you walked in this room. And I'm going to tell you to maybe flip the script on how you see things. Yes, at some point, there needs to be some growth. At some point, you've got you've to get away. I mean, if you keep falling out of the bed and falling out of the bed, then maybe you stayed too close to where you got in bed at. That, that was good. You need to grow, have some spiritual maturity, have people that surround you to help disciple you. But listen, don't ever, ever 
Let the enemy convince you that you are something that you are not. I want everyone in the room to close your eyes just very quickly. I hope this podcast was a blessing to you. If you would take the time to like and share to whatever social media platform that you prefer, we would greatly appreciate that. Remember, more information about us, go to odessafirst.com or any of the social media platforms. And we would love to see you in person. God bless you.